Turn to Ezra chapter 4, if you would. Ezra chapter 4. For those of you who have not been with us, or maybe uh, you've just been out for a while, we've been doing a study through the, uh, the book of Ezra. We will continue on through the book of Nehemiah. We will take a break in between um, a couple of chapters coming up in just a little bit, and we will jump to the uh, book of Esther because it fits in the timeline and fits in the storyline of this incredible passage of Scripture. Last week, we talked about some certain things about the world and its opposition to us, and so today we're going to continue that, and uh, we will read. um, I I tell you what, let's back up to verse 1. I wasn't going to read this, but we will come back to verses 4 and 5 and then 24 explain to you why we're going to skip over a good portion of this this chapter, and uh, there is a reason for putting it in its proper context. So follow along with me, uh, starting in chapter 4 of Ezra, verse 1. Now when the adversaries, been singing about an adversary, the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, now remember, these were the gatekeepers. The adversaries were coming to them with what seemed to be a a fair-minded request, but Zerubbabel was not to be fooled. Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, We have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Ershadon, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them very wisely, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land, same folks mentioned in verse 1, the adversaries. They're just showing their true colors now. Discouraged, I want you to look at three things now. Discouraged the people of Judah, made them afraid to build, and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then drop down to... Verse 24, I'll give you a few seconds to swipe down if you're using a smart device or to turn the page if you need to, because these verses end with verse 24. What's in between is a parenthesis. You need to see this as a unit from verse 5 down to verse 24, right after we see discouragement, fear, and frustration that the enemies, the adversaries are bringing to them, then... Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year, the reign of Darius, king of Persia. For 15 years, the work stopped. Father, uh, these are words for our time. Whether we live here in this country or we live in a foreign country, the, the, the church, the people of God need to hear again 
that the world is not our friend, it is our enemy, and it will come against us and do everything that it can to stop uh, a genuine work of God. Our adversary always does that. He is seeking someone right now, someone here in this audience, to uh, deceive and to threaten and to kill and to steal and to destroy. He is right now like a roaring lion prowling about seeking someone to devour. God, may we be wise like Zerubbabel and the heads of the households. May we recognize the infiltration of the enemy. But Lord, help us not to yield as the people of God did in Zerubbabel's day. Help us not to yield to outward threats as well. Father, open our minds that we would receive uh, your word implanted and it would make a difference in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that there is some confusion about this. As I talk with, with, with people, I'm talking about Christians now. But I'll go back to what I said this last week. We need to remember that the world is not your friend. Students, remember. Young adults, remember. Median adults, remember. Older adults, more mature adults. Remember, the world is not your friend. That's why the word adversary, which conjures up the, the thought of, of our enemy, the enemy of our souls, Satan. When you became a Christian, when you repented of your sins, when you turned by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and you determined that you were going to separate yourself from the world to follow Christ Immediately, it led to the world trying to infiltrate your own life, the life of your family, the life of your church, the life of the body of Christ, to stop your worship, to stop pure worship, and also, if it couldn't do that, then open opposition. Here's worship. You know, I, I've had this, this discussion for so many years we often talk as if what we do in here is worship, and it is, but sometimes we're left with that feeling or that thought that this is the only place that worship happens when we sing songs and when we read Scripture and when we baptize and do the Lord's Supper and hear the Word preached. No. Worship, according to Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is this, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, going back to the gospel in which we believed, what is worship? To present our bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God. That's our spiritual service of worship. That's 24-7. That's what you're going to do when you walk out of this building today. That's what you're going to do right before you go to sleep tonight. That's what you're going to do throughout the week, and that's why our guard must always be up. Do not be conformed. Would you help me out with this? Do not be conformed to what? Because the world is not your friend. Now, now let's, let's try to divvy this out. I, I shared this last week. I'm not talking about necessarily cultural institutions. A cultural institution like the, the government or a business or something like that is, is in itself benign. I'm talking about the world system that Satan 
controls that he has, uh, by the way, whether you look at it, if he has taken it over or he was granted the authority over this world system, that's what we're talking about, the world system that operates through people and through government systems and through all kinds of different things. In fact, go back with me and review. Our adversary is called the ruler of this world, the God of this world world who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. He's called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The Bible clearly, clearly says the world hates us. I may sound like I'm belaboring this point, but we have got to understand the world is not our friend. It wasn't before we came along, and it will not be our friend until the very end. We're not going to get out of this thing without the infiltration and the open attacks of the world against us. Jesus said it like this, look, guys, if the world hates you, which it does, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, now watch this, you're not of the world, you're in the world. We confuse those two things. But if you were of the world, the world would, it would love you. It would accept you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Here's what I'm trying to say. Never, never will we be able to as a church. Oh, let me go on to this. I also added this. If they persecuted you, they will all, me, if, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So the world just, it just kind of balls us all into the same group. The world hates God. The world hates Jesus. The world hates us. That's why we're not about trying to change the world. Does that make sense? We get confused about this again. So that we try to change the world around us to make the world a better place in which we can live, a more moral place for us, but that won't work. The world is dead from the start. So were we before we believed in Jesus. So trying trying to improve the world is, I I don't want to be gross about this, but it's like putting nice clothes and perfume on a corpse. It's about all we'll accomplish. We might make it smell a little bit better. And this is what we see here, the world system The world is coming after the people of God. Now, there's an overlay. You obviously see that this portion of Scripture, we've already looked at this in various ways in the New Testament. It tells us that what is written here is written for our example. We need to hear this as such. And obviously, what I'm trying to do is help you to see that the world is seeking to infiltrate your own worship. Not what you did a few minutes ago when you sang. That's, again, that's what, that's what we usually equate worship as, but how you're living your life every day. Listen, 
we've talked about this, this the last couple of weeks. The world wears many disguises, just like the devil does. In order to infiltrate, to pollute, ultimately to destroy our worship. Now, we just read verse 3. Again, this is a review from last week. And I mentioned last week that Zerubbabel kind of sounds harsh, doesn't he? You're not, you're not going to have anything to do with what we're doing here. He was not harsh. He was informed. If we are not careful, the world will so infiltrate us that we will not be informed about it. These people were slick. They said, now, now watch what they said, we worship your God. He wasn't their God. Yahweh was not their God. We worship your God. And oh, by the way, and then they mentioned Ershadon, the king, who brought them into this land. Well, you have to go to another book, the book of Second Kings, to discover what those people did when they, when they brought the pagans in to intermarry with the Jews that were still there, creating that group of people later to be called Samaritans. Okay, are you following? And here is what they had been like all that time. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. You can't do that. You just can't. That's why we have two commandments right at the very beginning that tell us you cannot do that. Now watch this. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. And thank the Lord that the people of God in Zerubbabel's day had a gatekeeper who was, first of all, wise enough, discerning enough, to look around and to see the lay of the land and not only do it, but he was decisive enough to say, no, that's not going to work. You simply cannot pollute the worship of God. So when the adversaries of Judah couldn't deceive their way into the camp, what did they do? They showed their true colors. As I said just a few moments ago, they turned in hateful opposition to the work. Little secret, they never really wanted to help build anyway. They came to steal and kill and destroy. So again, what's the initial application? Separation from the world will lead to open, hostile opposition from the world. Let's look at the three parts of the outline. Now, remember what we're going to be doing is that middle part, I'm going to show you how that fits in there. I already have alluded to that, but let's look at verses 4 and 5. You see it on your outline there. Here's, here's, the, here's basically what we can see out of that. The world openly opposes God and His people. We must stand and not yield to the three things that ultimately got the people of God then. The way that you know it is, you look at verse 24. That's what happened. So the world openly 
I'm going to read this. I don't usually do this, but I do a lot of, uh, you know, when I study, I read a lot of different translations to get a nuance of what's going on there. And uh, uh, this is very interesting in the message. Okay? I haven't gone heretical. We're using the ESV and we use the New American Standard, all the rest of those kind. But the message, I want you to listen how the message is so incredibly contemporary. So these people, who are the these people? Who? The adversaries. The world. These people started beating down the morale of the people of Judah, harassing, that's the fearful part, harassing them as they built. They even hired propagandists to sap their resolve. No comment. Hired propagandists, no, we'll move on. They kept this up for about 15 years throughout the lifetime of Cyrus, king of Persia, and onto the reign of Darius, king of Persia, verse 24, that put a stop to the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem. Nothing more was done until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, you drop down into the next section, okay? When did verses 6 through 23, 23, take place. We know it wasn't right then. How do you know? Because it skips to a totally different king. Do you see that in verse 6? We'll talk about that in in just a second. But I want you to know, if you go through that, we're not going to go all the way through that, but read that when you get home and you're going to find some different things that they used. And then you'll jump to Nehemiah, and you'll find some different things that they used. This was a cabal of evil leaders who came against the people of God, false believers, false prophets, religious people, people of importance, and they just brought opposition, and it came again and again and again, and produced three results in the people of God. Discouragement, fear, and frustration. Do you see why I say this is not first a political issue? It's a gospel issue. We may have particular things going on in our country. This can be overlaid on any country. In fact, let's just do that for a second. Let's overlay this on the church in Afghanistan. Do you think the world now... Here, it's... it's we, we've had a respite for many years. The church has really had it easy in America, relatively speaking. W- would you agree with that? And I don't know, I've said before, it could be coming to, a, to an end. There are certain things that seem to be markers in that direction. But let's just jump over to Afghanistan. What's happening to the church there? Is opposition 
happening to the church in Afghanistan? Through an entity called the Taliban. Now, there are all kinds of stories and rumors emanating, but I think this one is pretty true to life, and you need to listen to how they're responding. It's not how these folks here responded, and I hope that we don't follow this example. You see, whenever you read a passage of Scripture, there's usually an, an example to either not do or to do. This is an example of what not to do. This is a sermon with a sad ending about the, the people of God. It's reported that the Taliban is going door to door, seeking out Christians. You Christians who have 14-year-old daughters or thereabouts, if you survive and they don't kill you, then they will take your daughter to marry off to one of their soldiers. That's just simply the way they do things. Do you know what the church, I read this this last week, bold Afghan Christians sharing the gospel with the Taliban. While the Taliban is going door to door, it's reported, so is the church. They are going door to door to share Christ. What do they have to lose? See, the world threatens you. We'll, we'll take away this. We'll take away that. We'll not let you do this. They've got everything to gain. And they're giving Bibles to the Taliban and having Bible studies with them. There are no reported converts yet. But they're taking it to them. Is there any wonder why Satan wants to stop genuine worship. What is genuine worship? Yeah, it's what we do here Sunday mornings, what happens in different churches all over this land, all over the world. But ultimately, it is you. And it doesn't matter what age. My, my third and fourth graders are in here, aren't you? And we're talking to them about things like this. I've, I've wondered if maybe at the end of our Awana class, we need to take them to the zoo. I don't know. I, third and fourth graders, don't, don't hold me to that. But if I do, I'm going to take you to the lion's cage. And I'm going to tell you that the world at one time took people like us and fed them to the lions. so that you can know that the world is against you and so that you will offer your body as a living sacrifice to Him. That's our accept, acceptable service of worship. Satan wants to stunt your growth. He wants to stunt the growth of this church. He doesn't want the church to hear this stuff. Give us something more palatable, Pastor. I mean, this is, ye, this is bad stuff. Are you sure the world is against us? Well, the Bible certainly is. Do you, want to, do you want to know how the church becomes irrelevant? I was thinking of this this last week. How does the church become irrelevant? Oh, that's easy. Music, uh, programs, and hey, I, li listen, we want to be a, a 
appropriately expressive of who we are as a people, okay? Always. But the way the church becomes irrelevant is through our hearts that have been compromised by an enemy who infiltrates and says you can mix your worship with idols or we've just thrown in the towel. Let's move to the second one real quickly. Okay, I'll let you catch your breath, okay? Take a deep breath. Here we go. Second part, second part. This is the 6 through 23. Now, again, this does not take place right here in the days of Zerubbabel. This is not about the building of the temple. And you know that through several things. It's, it's just when you read the Word, look for certain internal things that will give it away. It starts out in verse 6. In the reign of Ahasuerus, he was also called Xerxes. Anybody just kind of recognize the name Ahasuerus? When did he come into play? Later on, after the temple was built. That's the guy that married Esther. That's why we're going to study Esther. So we know that it's not talking about the days of the building of the temple because it's going to stop for 15 years. We've got to go back to the future. This is in the book of Nehemiah, probably along about chapters 4, 5, and 6. Then we go on down. There's another king, the son of Xerxes or Ahasuerus. His name was Artaxerxes. I hope I'm not losing you. You see where that is in verse 7? Okay. Another, listen, another internal marker. We know that this is not during the days of Zerubbabel and the building of the temple. I'll tell you what I, I think. I think this is what Ezra is doing. Who wrote both books, really, by the way? And, and originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. They've been split up. But he was trying to say to the people of God, this opposition that you're facing that's coming after you, it's not going to stop. It's going to be in the days of the kings that come after you. It's going to be after that and after that. In fact, until the day that you go to be with Jesus. Application for us. When things start closing in, and I'm talking about our culture. I, I think this is true. I really, church, hear me on this. I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not looking for things to go back to normal. I think whatever you thought was normal five years ago, ten years ago, or those of you who are really old, I keep looking over at Ed, you know. Ed is one of our more mature, and he's here faithfully, and he, sti he still realizes that there is a battle going on, and he's here and, and contributing to the... Things are not going back to normal. This is your new normal. Oppression. Persecution. It won't end. If anything, it's going to get worse. Okay, I'm smiling. But that is the message that, that, that Ezra is trying to portray. So this passage, six through... Oh, by the way, there's one more internal marker. We know 
that, that this is just, uh, th this is in a future time. And look at this. This is one of the ways, if you'll read through it, you'll find other ways that the world will attack us, okay? There are other things that it'll, it'll say all kinds of things to get you discouraged, fearful, and frustrated. So look at verse 12, um, and it's going to give a, a little bit of insight into that. They're, they're writing letters. Boy, they're, 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 uh, what did it say in the message? Uh, they've hired propagandists. I shared this in the ABF class today, teaching it. Somebody said, you mean journalist. You know, people are people. People are people. It doesn't matter what country you're in. They're, they're, they're hiring, the world is hiring propagandists against us. Okay, be it known to the king that the Jews, now watch this, who came up from you, from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are, here's a lie. This is a lie. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. I wonder what God thought about that when they said that. You know what God thinks about Jerusalem? Zion. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. What were the people trying to do later on in Nehemiah? Rebuild the gates. You know, the world is going to call good evil. Was Jerusalem rebellious? Absolutely against evil, wicked, pagan nations. Wow. A lie many times is the skin of a truth wrapped in an untruth. And that's what we have here. This is what the world uses against us. It'll call good the very things that we are trying to do in terms of living out the implications of what it means to be a Christian, making our lives a living sacrifice, and it's going to call what we're trying to do evil. I think what, what Ezra was trying to say was, look, the tactics they used then are the same tactics they're going to use right now. So they wrote accusations. They entered into a, a, a number of different things. They lied about them. And here is one of those things that, one of the lies, it, it comes down to today. The hour is coming. And, and let me go back to Afghanistan. Do you think, really, really, in, in the minds of sincere Muslims who have been, who have been taken to, to an extreme they don't view themselves as doing evil. An hour is coming, Jesus said, when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, this is interesting. At the end, this is in, do you understand this is not now, this is in the time of Nehemiah? Now, watch, drop down to verse 23 because we're going to see what happened then. And we won't see this again until Nehemiah. But it says, and this is not true of what's happening in Zerubbabel's day. Verse 23, then when the copy of King uh, 
Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them to cease. They came to the church with 200 policemen and they put up a fence and said, you can't do that. They did it with with power and force, it says there, but they didn't do that in the days of Zerubbabel. Now, let's go back. Okay, we went to the future. Now, let's go back to what's happening in the days of of Zerubbabel, verses 4 and 5. Did the, did the opposition against the people of God work? How do you know? Verse 24. It, 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 in, I, I think that they were probably going a, a couple of years, maybe. The opposition was like that just over and over and over again. And by the way, here's an application of that. Your faithfulness, they were trying to be faithful to, to rebuild the, the temple. Your faithfulness in your worship and growth will not make opposition go away. Be faithful anyway. And so it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He could have said it about his, his whole ministry, but here he is writing about his, his, his time in Ephesus, and he said, I am so excited because there's such a huge wide door for ministry. Oh, and by the way, just like in the days of Ezra, there are many adversaries. He knew the world was going to come after him, and it did. So, obey God. I, I think this is, this is one of the, the takeaways of this. Obey God and not the world. The world will tell you, stop growing. Stop worshiping. Stop giving your life as a, as a sacrifice every day. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And then Jesus said something else. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to him what is his. Oh, by the way... Everything that's Caesar's is also God's. So render to God the things that are God's. Let's look at the three things. I think that these are three things that happen in all of their their lives and in all of our lives as well. Okay, the first one, discouragement. Um, If you do a word study on that, you know what it means, the basic picture of it is. You're working. Discouragement comes from the world, the opposition in the world, and your hands go limp. That's the word picture. They beat down the morale. Take away courage, discourage. They take away courage. You begin, let's try to personalize this, you begin to lose the motivation to press forward and keep going. I wonder what they said. I I don't know. Maybe it was something like, you know what you're doing 
really is not going to make a difference in this world and for eternity? Maybe it was something like, you know, everyone is against you. Look around. You're, you're swimming upstream. Look at the world. I mean, you're going against the grain, Christian. Maybe they said something like this. You can't stop us. We're going to shut you down. You know what the picture of it is? I, I was thinking about this. The nearest I can come, okay, if you're working and, and you become discouraged, what, what are you, by the way, what are you supposed to gri- grip, grasp onto? The Word. Okay? You're supposed to grip the Word. That, that's, the, that's what's going to give you the strength, right? Discouragement causes a lot of Christians to lose their grip on the Word. I had shoulder surgery a couple of years ago. And uh, had the surgery and they did a block. Anybody else had shoulder surgery? It went really well. And then they did something that uh, I thought was pretty cool. They put a pump, they put a pain pump, they put a little catheter right there and, and it went into that nerve. I don't understand all of it, but they just did it and I had this little ball and had this uh, painkiller in it. And it really dulled the pain for a couple of days. But you know what I discovered? That when that painkiller affected that nerve, and I got in the shower, to, I couldn't... I, I couldn't do anything. My hand was limp. There was, there was no gripping anything. I couldn't hold the soap. I couldn't hold my Bible. That's exactly what the world wants to do. It wants to put into you such discouragement. It just makes your spiritual nerve go limp. You can't grip the Word of God. You, you, you lose the grip on the promises. I said this in a funeral a while back. When God conceals His purposes keep living on his promises. But it's hard when you get discouraged to keep living on his promises if you're not grasping on to the Word of God. Paralyzing. Discouragement is absolutely paralyzing. Gosh. Around 1990, I got discouraged in ministry. I just got discouraged. I don't know if it was just outside, inside. I, there are always things going on in the church. And I, I just stopped being a pastor. Now, it wasn't because I was retiring. and it, there, there are reasons, and I understand all of that. But that wasn't. I, I, got, I got discouraged. I, I got discouraged. And I, I just walked away. One of the things that... That, that people, when I s- talk to them and they're discouraged, I'll say, how's your quiet time? Are you spending time regularly? Not legalistically, but regularly in God's Word. And a lot of times they'll say, ah, that kind of went by the wayside. I'm not surprised. Second thing, fear. Wow, do a word study on that. Blue letter Bible. Just do a study. Make the hands go limp. Fear. The basic word is palpitate. Your heart starts racing. You know, that's the, 
a typical response of fear, harassed, anxiety, terrified, fear of loss. We might lose our jobs. We might lose our reputation. We might lose our life. I, I don't know about you. I, I don't even know how to say this, really. Every, every conversation that I have, ultimately, if I talk long enough to someone, it turns to COVID. COVID is serious. I'm not saying it's not serious, but I, I have, I, I, I just, the fear For Christians that surrounds that. Prepare, be purposeful, and do not fear. The Lord says a lot about that. In fact, I just popped up a couple of things. Write down Matthew 10, 26. Write down Proverbs 29, 25. Write down 2 Timothy 1, 7, which is a promise. Have no fear of them. The fear of man lays a snare. God has not given us the spirit of fear. So if, if discouragement is a warning light, like your car, a warning light, fear is that when the brakes lock up, and frustration is just when you run, want to run the whole thing off a cliff. Frustration, if you do a word study on that, it means bring to nothing. Sap their resolve is what the message says. Just throw in the towel. That's what I did back in 1990. About a year and a half. Somebody asked me later, how'd, how'd you get back into ministry? I, it, was, it wasn't an earth-shaking thing or whatever. And I, I didn't quit going to church. I didn't fall into open sin or immorality or anything like that. I just got back to what the Lord, I think, had told me to do in the first place. Kind of like these guys did that's coming next week after 15 years. I'm glad it didn't take me 15 years. <laughs> Chan's going, <laughs> hey, could I ask you something? What right now from the world is discouraging you from doing the will of God. Oh, what's the will of God? Giving your body as a living sacrifice. What's discouraging you right now from doing the will of God? How is fear holding you back? What is frustrating your worship and growth in Christ? A lot of times what this does, it starts with an individual, just filters out. Family, church. And sometimes we just need to be pulled back. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, I, I said it, at the very beginning of this, this ends on a sad note. So, um, you're going to have to come back next week. Because unfortunately, sometimes, 
And you know, the great thing about it is with God, God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth and on down to a billion, you know. Unfortunately, sometimes God's people are intimidated into temporarily stopping God's work. Jesus promised that he would finish building his church. And so that's a promise. It's a wonderful promise. And I say that because normally we end with, and this is verse 24, we end with everything worked out and everybody lived happily ever after. The ending of this story for right now, even though Jesus promised, it didn't happen for 15 years. What we're going to find out this next week is that people drifted off and did their own thing instead of being busy about the work that God had led them to do. Well, I'm going to stop there. No, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to stop, obviously, with what we need at the very beginning, and most of you have done. You need to believe the gospel. You need, if you haven't, to not leave this building without understanding that you need to repent of your sins. There's forgiveness. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners like us. And you believe in him. The Bible promises you have life everlasting and the hope that he will complete what he has started. Would you do that today? Father, I thank you for um, your word, Old or New Testament. It doesn't matter. It gives us the same kind of truth and encouragement. And Lord, today we have been encouraged not to follow the example of those covenant people of God who got discouraged, they got fearful, they got frustrated, and they quit. Thank you, Lord, that that's not the end of the story. You brought them back, as you have for so many of us, and you completed the task that was given to them. So, Lord, we pray, first of all, that those who have sat under the hearing of the, the Word might respond to it in the way that you want them to, not the way I want them to, the way you want them to. And that if there are those who do not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. So we thank you for that. And now as we close our time together, we pray that you would uh, grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.